Hey everyone, welcome to Stories from the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams. This is a show where I speak with creators and entrepreneurs launching the next big things in media. Excited for episode number 42, my guest is Sarah Weichel. She's a YouTube business manager helping YouTube creators monetize their audiences, leveraging their communities and building amazing companies, books, ideas, and products. Before I get into the show, I want to say that I'm down at South by Southwest right now. It's been a really phenomenal week. Heading back tomorrow. So for everyone I said hi to, who said hi to me, thank you so much. The meetup that we had on Sunday for the influencer economy about how to build your platform went really well. Many people said it was the favorite event they'd had at South by. Had an awesome crowd of podcasters and creators, self-published authors that showed up. So we'll be doing more meetups coming in the near future, in a, hopefully in a city near you. So if you want to help me plan a meetup in your community, please hit me up, Ryan, at InfluencerEconomy.com. And also, we, uh, while we were down here, we met with some really cool companies and visionary entrepreneurs that will be posting future episodes around. And actually, I saw Sarah Weichel, the guest for this episode, on the plane we took down from L.A. together. So it's a phenomenal trip. Thank you so much for coming to the meetup. And as always, I have a marketing tip sheet that I give for free for aspiring podcast creators. So it's a marketing tip sheet for launching and programming your your podcast. Email me, Ryan, at InfluencerEconomy.com, and I will give you that tip sheet. So I apologize. My voice is a little raspy. It's loud down here. Been with a lot of friends, catching up, making tons of new friends. So much great stuff comes at South by Southwest. One of my favorite events. Just talking to my buddy Smichael recently about how this is the top conference for just for givers, for people wanting helping each other, and there's no way to attach an ROI. So, again, thank you so much for listening and coming to the event this weekend. Look forward to to chatting with you all again in the future. Without further ado, please welcome to the show for episode number 42, Sarah Weichel. So I'm going to be my friend I grew up with, this guy Ryan Ford. He works uh-huh. at an agency called Cashmere. Yeah, I'm we, familiar. We used to rap together growing up and freestyle. So we spent the first few minutes on the podcast talking about us rapping together. And Are when you I left, make me rap? Ryan? We will not be rapping. Okay, thank God. I think, but do you have any hidden talents? Hidden talents. Yes, I do. Um, when I was much younger, I uh, used to Irish dance, like river dance. Oh, no way. Oh, Yes, I did, and uh, I was I was of the river dance and Lord of the Dance era when it was very cool, and so I immediately decided that I also wanted to Irish dance, and so I did for 13 years, and so I, sometimes on St. Patrick's Day, if we have too many Guinnesses, then I'll bust out the Irish dance. What's your like pinnacle of, of dancing success? I, I went to the world championships, actually. Uh, in Ireland? I did, yeah, in Ireland. Uh, in what, God, what year is that? Uh, I don't know, probably like 2005. Um, and that was a, that was a big one. Where, where'd you grow up? Los Angeles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, the world of showbiz. Everyone wants to wear sparkly dresses. If and only we were a star. I wish we were videoing this because yeah. <laughs> then we would actually do this. Maybe the next interview. Uh-oh, we'll have to build on, upon, uh, this is influencer a, economy's brand. This is a prequel. I will, uh, I will consult for free and we will start your YouTube channel together. I'm totally on board. Perfect. I have one episode. I actually interviewed Freddie Wong and I videoed it. Did you really? And I want to, it's funny because 
I'm like adjusting the camera in the middle of it. Oh no. I didn't edit it out. Oh, how funny. So some listener, I just was on this guy's podcast and he's like, I love your show. It's very raw. Uh, like that time <laughs> with Freddie when you said that you were adjusting the camera. You're like, yeah, man, it's YouTube. We're Do all about yourself. authenticity, you know? We're real. Do you like the word authenticity? No, I hate Me it. Too. Oh, I'm Me so too. glad you said that. I actually got a question the other day. I'm going to be on a South by uh, Southwest panel and somebody asked me, um, how do you measure authenticity on the YouTube platform? And, you know, my immediate response was like, we really need to lose the word authenticity. Absolutely. I hate it. I think we can't, you cannot measure authenticity. We should not value something based on its authenticity. It's a YouTube for crying out loud. I think like we really, we really uh, need to start putting things in perspective again. You know, it's, it, I, you forget how produced and how manufactured like TV is still, even though we have reality TV. And so then when it comes down to like YouTube and direct to consumer and doing it all yourself, it's like, hell yeah, it's authentic. I'm sitting in a, in a room with a camera and editing it myself and there's no censorship and I don't have to approve any scripts. I don't have to approve any copy. I'm just talking. Like yeah. it's as, that's as authentic as it gets. It's real. You know? It's just you. I know. So anyway, I'm really I hate glad the word. Op- so authenticity for anyone listening is a love hate word because yes. you have to say it because everyone asks about it. I taught, I taught a marketing class last night mm. and uh, I told them I had a love hate relationship with the word. Yeah. The class itself was, it was a bunch of like entrepreneurs and the idea of authenticity is you just be yourself. Right. Just embrace your personality. Right. But we use it all the time. Yeah. Like I, I find myself using it all the time, especially when talking to brands, you know, blessedly this year, 2015, um, you know, a lot, a ton of brands are jumping on board for what I'd call social influencer sponsorship, to be it on any social platform or YouTube or, you know, dot coms, whatever. Um, and uh, I find myself using authenticity all the time. Yep. And I hate it. It's hard not to. It's hard not to. You we know? need to have a, a session. Yeah. If you're listening exactly. to this, please, you know, tweet us some, some synonyms or <laughs> in the comments yeah. words we can use to say authentic. Yeah, exactly. Synonyms for authentic. Actually, let's hashtag it. Hashtag synonyms for authenticity. It's a long let's hashtag. Get trending, let's guys. get it trending. It's going to be global. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for hosting me. Oh yeah, absolutely. Welcome to my home. This is a do-it-yourself show. Very I bring much. two mics and the recorder. I love it. And here we are. I know. Hashtag authenticity. Hashtag authenticity. There we go. And this is the real deal. Hashtag yeah. real deal. Hashtag real deal. Hashtag authenticity. And so w- welcome. We've been wanting to have you on actually. Really? Yes. Thank you so much. Because I think the cool intersection of what you do around talent management is paving the way for the future of people that I think is, and I'd be love to hear your take on this. Is it, so you're, you work with YouTube talent, you help them to grow everything. Actually, just describe what you do. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I hate the word talent manager. Okay. I think it really cheapens both what the creators do and what I do, um, but I have to use it. Yeah. Like we're saying with this like weird translation world that we're in where we're, you know, kind of, I also hate the term wild, wild west, but we are in this digital world that has a lot, you know, there's a lot of learning curves to be had as we intersect more with traditional entertainment and traditional media, blessedly, you know, what an awesome, what an awesome thing, but there's a lot of translation that needs to be done, which is why I call myself a talent manager. However, I would like to refer to myself as more of a business manager or business builder, brand builder. Um, 
because there really isn't a facet of these guys' businesses that I don't touch. It's more of, um, you know, they are, they are the CEO of their small business and I am the COO of their businesses and together we are, you know, strategizing and um, ideating and putting together, you know, their own individual roadmaps for what their brand is going to represent in the next, you know, five years. Um, and who, who are the types of people that you work with? Yeah, so I represent um, a YouTuber named Hannah Hart. I represent a YouTuber, Lily Singh, who goes by Superwoman on YouTube. Uh, Kingsley, uh, I just started working with, and a singer-songwriter, Madeline Bailey. Um, I, I noticed that you also had Flula on the pad- podcast, who I used to represent, and um, is a very, very good friend of mine. He actually has the key to my house, speaking of. Flula uh, did the theme music oh, did for he? the podcast. Oh, God, Flula's the best. He's just He whipped it up. And I told him that I used to rap and freestyle over Rapper's Delight. Oh, God. And so he came back and just made this three-part harmony beatbox singing Yeah, thing. instant friends. Instant yeah, best love friends. love him. <laughs> he is, he's incredible. I love Flula as well. He, uh, which we can get into a little bit more, but he um, is currently pursuing more of like a traditional talent route. And so it just made more sense for him to have a traditional talent manager so that he can do things like auditions and you know, Pitch Perfect 2 is coming out, which we're so excited for and to support him in. Um, and, yeah, I want to hear more uh, about Pitch Perfect. Yeah. So sure. when you when you define what you do to your parents, what do you say? Oh, God. You know, uh, Christmas is so awkward. It continues to be so awkward. But at least now I have a couple of articles that I can refer okay. to. Like, from, from where? Oh, the newspaper. From Credible Exactly, like resources. the LA Times. Oh, you were in the LA Times. The, no, 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 I wasn't. Oh, God, oh. no. But you, VidCon was. Yeah. You know, there's a huge write-up on, on VidCon and, and my friends John and Hank, and uh, it was a great piece of material to refer back to and say, look, this actually is happening. This is how entertainment is changing. And the LA Times even did a front yeah. page article about it. Um, so, uh, so that's great. But... But really what I tell my parents is, again, I'm a talent manager, I help build um, businesses, uh, I work very closely with the talent agencies like WME and CAA and UTA, um, and I, do you wanna pause? Is that a copter? Yeah. Sorry, we're like in, a nice area. We're in a, I know, right? Well, <laughs> we're in the major a flight path for LAX, which you can't see because it's so overcast uh, okay. today. But, um, this is like where everyone circles around and then starts to descend for LAX. Oh, okay. So, um, but anyway, uh, I work with uh, all of the major talent agencies, um, like WME, UTA, and CAA, and I work with the MCNs, and I work with advertising agencies, and and basically I'm kind of just at the hub of uh, the aforementioned you know, businesses. And so I love the fact that you call yourself, you're a business person Mm -hmm. helping people creatively grow their brands sure and helping them to actually make money doing something that they like to do and something they're good at and they've grown followings about yeah i mean the opportunity is there now you know i think two years ago i wouldn't have had a job as a talent manager commissioning 10 percent because the deal flow wasn't robust enough there wasn't enough opportunity in the digital space um, and now, fortunately, we're we're really at a point in entertainment where, you know, the announcements for the major SVODs are just as exciting as HBO's, you know, announcements for what they're picking What's up. What's an SVOD? 
Um, and SVOD is a subscription video on demand. So uh, it's a platform like a Netflix or a Hulu where you have to pay a subscription fee every month and uh, you can unlock content. Um, so again, Netflix, Amazon's, Hulu's of the world, um, you know, and, and their announcements on what series they're picking up you know, that are that are going out now during pilot season are just as valid mm -hmm. and valuable as HBO right. and all these other major cable networks. Um, you know, another thing that I kind of get on my high horse about sometimes is when people refer to creators as YouTubers. So it's very interesting you say that because when I emailed you, mm -hmm. I was, I actually wrote YouTube creator. I think I exited out, I wrote YouTuber. <laughs> I'm not even sure what I used in the end, yeah. but I wanted to be like very uh, aware of like how I portrayed like my opinion oh, about these funny. people. I didn't notice that. Um, it obviously but, didn't matter in the end because well, I don't even remember. I'm so glad that you are aware of it because a lot of people ask me what it's like to work with YouTubers and YouTube is a platform that these creators are going to contribute to. Right. Um, and again, now as we talk about the SVODs, um, subscription video on demand, and we talk about... Um, so you're giving us the playbook right now. Kind of. So this is like, you're not a talent manager as much as you're a business person who helps manage people's careers and brands? Yeah, what we can call media businesses, small media businesses. And the talent you represent or work with, let's say work with... Yeah, represent. That you fine. represent yep. is... Uh, video on demand generation people that are creating content that isn't on broadcast TV content creators yeah. I mean who knows hopefully one day we will get to a point where the cable networks understand the value of of audience and community and engagement and then I will have Hannah Hart and Lily Singh doing you know shows on cable network can you give us before we go into the global uh, viewpoint can you give us an example of something really cool you've done with someone who you've worked with to give listeners that may not be completely um understanding the YouTube universe? Sure. So, you know, I think uh, I'll just give you kind of a, a rundown of, of my day-to-day. -day. Yeah. Um, most frequently, I work I mean, you, with... You have, like, candles and <laughs> trees going. This is the quintessential, like, East L.A. My, place. I like to call it Zen Cabin. Yeah, this it's, is so relaxing. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't get any work done here. Well, I have to say it's, uh, it is a little bit trickier than I thought, but I am a total workaholic, and I wake up first thing every morning and check my phone for emails and and it's just you know I enjoy it you know and that's the other thing I really do enjoy uh thinking bigger and trying to think entrepreneurial and build roadmaps for these talent um and what you never would think of if you look at someone on YouTube they have a roadmap well because they don't that's yeah. the thing you know they don't we we really have to work on putting something some strategy together because arguably YouTube and a lot of the YouTube creators out there you know, got lucky. And I'll, you know, I'll say it. They, they might've got lucky. Um, or because they're early, because they're early adapters or because, um, you know, because they're charming and good looking and maybe that is a talent, you know, what's interesting because I think a lot of people that for podcasts right now, there's such a renaissance with serial and sure. all these, um, this American life spinoffs, you sure. know, invisibilia and startup. So everyone in their mom is, making a podcast. Well, I think like anything on any platform, once you figure out how to work the system, you know, you can replicate things and sometimes it works. 
Um, you know, the, I think for you two very specifically, that is the platform that I, you know, primarily work in. Um, there are two different types of creators. One I think is like a community builder, somebody that's really good at aggregating a community, aggregating an audience. And we, we kind of see those in the form of vloggers. And then the other, um, you know, type of creator is, is, uh, is a creator in, in my mind. They create con content or short films or production, um, you know, like Freddie Wong, like Bernie Burns and Rooster teeth, like retin links of the world. Um, and so I think it's important for people uh, to recognize that, you know, there we are dealing with two different very specific types of brands and creators and, and how you monetize those and how you grow those. So what's the community different. builder mean? So community builder or a vlogger is more like a personality host type. So in traditional media, uh, it would be like the Ryan Seacrest and the Ellen DeGeneres and the, um, you know, the, the host personality. In England, they call them presenters. Presenters. Um, yeah, sure. Right. It's the people that are in front of the camera with the microphone and Sure. I think the real win for the YouTube community here is not that they book hosting gigs. I think the real win is that they build out these businesses, these empires, and they have access to audience. They have access to, uh, you know, they have access to traditional Hollywood, um, luckily now, and those relationships like showrunners and producers and directors, because people are starting to understand the real value of their audience. It all really comes down to audience and anything really YouTube podcast, Twitter, social platforms, whatever it is. It really any product, any product. The word is scale. Everyone always overuses hate that word. They too. overuse it, but can it's... we get rid of authenticity and scale? Yes. Okay. And, you and me, Ryan. let's get rid of disruption. Oh, that's the worst. I do hate that one. The as well. disruptive nature. Yes. It's the D word. The D I hate word. it because I have to use it sometimes. Yeah. And it's so overused. The people that use it most likely don't understand what it means is what I've realized. Oh, that's interesting. And so I use it as a filter. Yeah. Unless you're like worth like a hundred billion dollars. Right. You can use the word because you probably disrupted something <laughs> and made a lot of money. But if I'm in a meeting with someone who especially when I'm at a company and their person's trying to impress me because they're trying to emulate themselves as being very senior yeah. And very uh, worldly. Of course. I, it's a filter that says you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, that's my second favorite thing. I happen to be uh, younger and a woman. And so when I go into meetings with some of these, you know, very executive senior um, people to frankly consult for free, in my opinion, yeah. I'm like, you know, giving you all of my information totally. about the digital space and how I'm viewing this and how I think it's going to change and how I think it's going to disrupt entertainment and uh it's uh that's exactly what i use the word as well it's it's i find myself in addition to me my me not wanting to call myself a talent manager i also find myself calling sorry let me say that again in addition to me not wanting to be a talent manager i also find that i do a lot of translation and like i really should just be calling myself a translator yeah really all i'm doing yeah. is translating from creator to brand agency or from uh, MCN to a uh, talent agency. Yes, absolutely. You know, and it's like kind of finding the interesting ways of taking the jargon from each industry and then like mixing it up to make sense to my creator or to whoever else, right? So if I find myself in a meeting with, uh, you know, a TV producer or a TV like showrunner um, trying to explain the value of the digital space and specifically creators and audience and 
uh, their brands. It's always... That's a great way to put it. It's all these different communities of people that think a certain way and they've been taught a certain way. It's... Yep. Some people are more traditional. Some people are more unorthodox. Exactly. And yeah. finding that common language. Yeah, that's really all I do. I mean... It's a collaboration. My day-to-day is really just... Yeah, what is the day-to-day? Just networking, talking yeah. to people, trying to trying to help them understand. I mean, I, I do have a really... But you have the business approach. sense that they're after. It's not like... Because yeah. I think networking in general, there's nothing that is more frustrating for me when I meet with people that don't do anything. And literally all they do is like make connections to people. And they do it in this way where like they think they're hustling. It's so funny. I have a blog post that I haven't published yet. It's called, For the Love of God, Stop Telling Me How Much You're Hustling. Oh, I love that. Because everyone is saying to me on social media, especially when I check Twitter, I'm hustling, man. I'm up at grinding. It's 6 a.m. And you know what? We all work. Gotta love that grind. Hashtag authenticity. (laughs) Hashtag scale. We all all scale. We all disrupt. But we're all like, guess what? It's called work. No, like, I, it's I, like you're supposed to work hard. You're supposed to get up early and do your work. You know, I couldn't agree more with that. Social media, man. I, it's just the bragging of it. Oh, man. I mean, it really is. It really is something. The beauty is that it gives everyone a voice. And the terrible thing about social media is that it gives everyone a voice. But you can actually be perception. I, I, so there was a 30 for 30 list that like some magazine just published. 30 under 30? 30 as a 30 under 30 list for like yeah. fortune or something were you Forbes. on it um i was not on it although i did have a client on it who is that hannah hart so uh, hannah is different th- i'm not talking about her because i actually don't know if much about her which we're about to find out yes more i know she's Can't r- wait. wrote a great book she did my drunk kitchen and i hear you're trying to write a book i'm right trying to write right. a book too and i like uh, a lot of what the content she makes awesome but the 30 for 30 list of some people i knew on there they're the braggadocious Hustlers. I'll give I'll tell you a secret about the 30 and the 30 list. It's all curated. It's all curated by the PR agencies. Um, so the like, committee seemed like it was digital agents and yeah. people that worked at YouTube and big gaming companies. Yeah. And it yeah. wasn't, it's all curated. It was very insider. It's all curated. You know, it's all people that have PR agencies and that know each other. Yeah. It's a very, it's a, just a, a community, another community. You know? Yeah. It's a, uh, it's just another community, which, uh, should be our topic, I think. Yeah. Our topic for this podcast it's, should be about community. And you're saying, so is Hannah fall into the community part of it? Oh, so um, no, Hannah is a part of an agency who had a relationship with the Forbes okay. PR team. Okay. So I was, you know, we were aware, we submitted, you know, a bunch of information about her and, and she was chosen based on her relationship with her talent agency. Okay. So. And that's you. No, I'm her. T- I I know. I'll, I'll also break this down because it's a little confusing as well. So um, Can you explain. Let's explain Hannah real quick and something sure. cool you've done with her, so we can contextualize this because I think this universe is so vast and totally. Uh, it's like people don't know how to break it down, like what someone on YouTube does to create, and then how much they can do off of that. That YouTube itself isn't the end game. It's totally. All these amazing things you can do from that. Yeah. Well, speaking of Endgame, I, that's that's an interesting point to bring up. I think a lot of people early on, a couple of years ago, thought, "Oh, cool, YouTube. We see what you're doing over there in the digital space, yeah. and being cute and talking to your cameras. And let's just wait for the good ones to bubble up to the top. We'll pluck a couple of you off of YouTube and put you on TV." And boy, is that uh, has that changed over the past couple of years? You know, I think for a lot of creators, Endgame is definitely not TV. Endgame is something 
much more. Um, you know, and, and it is about building um, maybe a nonprofit, maybe a uh, maybe it's a dot com, maybe it's you know it, whatever it is in the media landscape. It's something more than just being on TV. Um, Hannah Hart is an example who I started working with two years ago, and she, you know, fell into YouTube on accident. Uh, she, her claim to fame is a show called My Drunk Kitchen, um, which was a total mistake. And it was something that she made for a friend um, who she missed, um, who was across the country, wherein she literally got drunk and cooked her something like they used to do together and then sent it to her through a platform called YouTube because she didn't know how else to send video. How many years ago is this? This was five years, four, I think four years, four years ago now. Okay. And, um, and, uh, so, you know, four years ago, arguably there were people on YouTube trying to be YouTubers and create content on YouTube. Um, but Hannah was not one of those people. Um, and she had no idea that there was a community there or that there were, was an ability to make shows or other creators talking about, you know, things like games or daily vlogging or, or whatever the format was four years ago on YouTube. Like, like she didn't do some competitive analysis and think I'm going to break in by doing this. Not like the kids are today, yeah. man. The kids today really do study how to be YouTubers. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that, that's Hannah's story. And I think because this was such a happy accident for Hannah. Um, what was she doing before? She was, At the a, time. she was actually a, a, a translator and she was a Japanese translator oh, wow. and she was just about to move. Um, I think it was to Japan, no way. take this job in Japan. And she ended up uploading this video and decided that, yeah. And decided that, uh, you know, it wasn't, it, she was going to try to pursue her, pursue this, whatever this was. And it wasn't really a thing. Was not a thing. It wasn't really an industry. Would not call it a career. <laughs> yeah. It was more of your making videos and building something. Yeah. But I think you don't know what it is. She had no idea. All she knew was that in the comments, people wanted more and that there, they wanted another episode specifically. And she didn't realize that there were episodes or shows or, or any of that. And so, you know, she ended up quitting her job and couch surfing for a while. And where was she living here? She was in New York at the time. Okay. Um, and then ended up couch surfing her, surfing her way over to LA. And I think she was about six or seven episodes in at that time. And she had gotten some press. A couple of blogs had picked up this, my drunk kitchen. If we had to call it a viral moment, I suppose that would be it. Um, funny. I remember. So I watched the today show clip, um, so like uh, Kathleen and Hoda, mm. like they're just always, whenever they have a YouTube person on, oh, like God. you watch the clips, they ask like in five different ways what the, the viral moment is. It is. And so it's funny you bring that up because Ugh. I feel like when you're in more of a traditional publication or TV format, they want to know that one hit. It's the translator in me. Yeah. You know? It's like, oh God, we got to talk for this viral moment again. So um, this is the viral moment. Well, arguably, over the, the <laughs> first blog. seven episodes was her, was Hannah's vi viral moment. But, but blogs picking it up helped. To got, get. Yeah, I think she got a, she got some press on it, and then she got started getting some um, some recognition from the talent agencies. Okay, and uh, you know, Hannah Hannah is hilarious. You know, she, I really do think that she is going to be something incredible. Um, if somebody had to ask me the five-year question, which is another thing that I hate. Your roadmap. Um, I would say that I don't think 
what Hannah is going to do exists yet. I think Hannah is going to be influential tastemaker, curator, host. She's going to have a media business. She's going to be a producer. She's going to have a production arm to her company um, because she's going to continue to create content for her audience. We will never give that up. You know, that's the core of her business right now. Um, But the way that I, that I look at, you know, YouTube and Hannah specifically is that the core of these guys businesses is in creating content. That's what they're great at. And we're never going to be able, or we shouldn't, not we're never going to, but we shouldn't um, ever throw that away or not respect that because that is the core of their business. That is their bread and butter. That is where their community is on YouTube specifically. And uh, without that, all of these, what I'll call off-platform opportunities, like writing a book or like doing a movie or like being on TV, go away. Um, Because I use all of those analytics and measurements and numbers to convince, for now, that um, that these creators are really meaningful and valuable, because they are. Um, so you, you make the case that there's this many likes, there's this many comments, there's these many average views of video, like yeah. you're showing a broader... I use those numbers, again, because I am a translator, yeah. and that's what people understand, is that dreaded scale word again, right. um, which is not, a, in my opinion, is not a great measurement of their worth, but for now, but it's it what we have. makes sense to someone. You know, it's I, I ended up having a meeting with a traditional um, talent manager who's a very important manager in the space and represents a ton of A-list celebrities. And she ended up telling me uh, that they don't want some of their A-list celebrities to have social media presences because then they have numbers attached to their yeah, value. so interesting. You know what? Isn't that crazy that's to think about? So, you can value... That's so far-fetched from reality. Well, like, it's It's just, like you're willing to BS the world that... Totally. Or it's it's almost a little, you know, it, it upsets me a little bit coming from the digital space because all we've ever had is numbers to justify our, our talent. And, you know, for some of these like George... It's like showing Clooney's, your work. Exactly. It's showing your work. And um, for some of these George Clooney's of the world, um, who, and I don't want to misspeak... Of course, George Clooney is incredibly talented. Of course he is. But he's able to secure these multi-million dollar brand deals based on this allure that Hollywood has created around George Clooney. Whereas Hannah Hart very clearly has X amount of followers, X amount of likes, and you'll guarantee X amount of Prussians brand X if you invest into her. So it's very much a service and a disservice to have all of these facts and figures and numbers attached to your value. Um, which I just thought was a little anecdotally, it was very, very interesting. Can I tell you the first chapter of the book is about people getting heard and how to position, how the whole trick now is to, not the trick, but you have to really position yourself to get heard because it's so noisy and mm-hmm. everyone has access, everyone has a microphone and it's harder to get seen now, even though there's more opportunity. And then I have a line that traditional era of celebrity is dead and it's yep. no more. And these like far-fetched ideas of product placements or people that are attached to big projects that are famous, it's not happening. I Speaking of books, I'm, by the way, I'm loving your book so far. Okay. We need to make this happen. How yeah. are we making this happen? Okay. So quick update. Yes. Give me an update. I have a editor in uh, that is finishing the sample chapter. It's about Freddie Wong. I lo- so love it's, it. It's like probably 2,000 words. For everyone who doesn't know who Freddie Wong is and is listening to this podcast about creators, go check him go, out. Go back to, I've interviewed him on the podcast. Like he three was, times, right? Yeah, three, I, well, I interviewed him once, 
and then I broke up the episode into two pieces. Cool. And it was before I had many listeners. Yeah. And then I got featured by Apple, new and noteworthy. I was like, this is the best episode. I'm going to republish the whole thing awesome. in its entirety. Great. So cool. I had him on and he was tremendous. He, he's raised over $2 million crowdfunding. And his whole thing though, is he built community before he could make money on YouTube. Mm-hmm. He built community on YouTube before you could make money from Kickstarter. So he, to your point about Hannah not really knowing what the final product is or the, the place where she's going to be for a longer period of time, you don't know what it's going to be. I mean, we still don't The world's know. moving so quickly. We still don't know. We don't, this, this conversation we're having in a year from now, by the way, congratulations. This is your year that you've just been on your own. Yeah, this is, this is exactly almost to the date, exactly one year since I left uh, a company that I used to work at that was an MCN. Um, and, uh, and I have been at it on my own for a year now. My podcast, a year old this week. Look at us. Okay, back to our book, though. Yeah. Since so the we're, book. We're very excited about. The so book. the book is going to. So the the process now is potentially this publisher's going to look at it. The proposal will be done next week. Awesome. I have forty chapters outlined. Wow. And there are going to be forty stories of people that have created themselves and booked their own careers. Look, I'll do chapter 41. You really have to stop begging me, Ryan. It's so embarrassing. The what? This. The what? Chapter 41 of your book. You'll I'll be, be the 40 You'll be in person. it? Yes, you'll absolutely. Be. End of interview. It's over. <laughs> I'm going to walk, drop the mic. So 41, I have 41 chapters now. Well, here's the thing though. I know what a grind it is to write a book. I, Hannah Hart, again, um, is one of the first creators uh, YouTube creator specifically ever to have sold a book to a major publisher. Actually, I think she is the first one and she did it two years ago when I just started working with her and it was a grind. Yeah. I mean, I people really, don't understand and there's nothing more frustrating for me is when people that I care about ask me an update about the book. Yeah. And I'm just thinking to them, I wish I could just tell you to shut up. Yeah. And it's not personal, but I can't give you an update. Yeah. It's not this type of thing where you have metrics. Yeah. Listen to the podcast. Yeah. Because the podcast is based in conjunction with the book. Well, it's just so, I mean, you you really don't realize, especially people like you who have multiple other projects going to, on at once. I have to once, pay my bills. And who have to pay your bills. <laughs> oh, yeah. A, a side note. Books don't make you money. Side note, you have to pay bills. Podcasts don't make money. Oh, uh, man. But especially like multiple projects going on at once, to set aside the time to write a book is almost impossible. And I mean, with Hannah last year, two years ago, we ended up doing the deal. And unfortunately for Hannah, it was, she was just too early. It was, she was too, what was, what's that phrase? Before her time. Before Before her time. time. Um, What do you mean by that? Meaning, again, the industry really didn't understand the value of what she was doing yet. They didn't understand the value of YouTube. They didn't understand the audience was real. You know, what do you mean you have a million subscribers? Are those numbers real? What does that look like? What will we actually convert? And, uh, you know, it's still it's still a valid question today. But unfortunately, back then, people just weren't willing to take the risk. Um, Hannah had an incredibly successful book. She actually partnered with HarperCollins. And, um, you know, the, the book was called My Drunk Kitchen. It was an extension of her My Drunk Kitchen brand. It was... Um, it was technically a self-help parody book in the form of a cookbook. So being true to, yeah, I know it's a little, it's a little complicated. Give me one second. 
Okay. <laughs> so basically, <laughs> it was in the uh, in the form of recipes with corresponding pictures for that recipe, but within the recipe. And they're her recipes. Yep, all the recipes. Well, she I come mean, from the line of cooks. Okay. Well, when, let's use the term recipe loosely. It, it is a. Uh, it's more of a smorgasbord of mess that you make in the kitchen okay. that we've thrown together to call some type of recipe. Is it stuff from the YouTube videos that nope, she made? No, all, all new all recipes. New. Yep. And uh, and within every recipe, uh, because the recipe isn't actually a real recipe, it's more like a series of essays um, and stories um, reflecting back into why that recipe came to be. And I'll have to give you an example because it's a little complicated to explain, but basically it would... It would be like uh, the Hartwich, which is like this glorified sandwich mess of things. And it was really, you know, the the, the recipe was really about, um, you know, her growing up, like her childhood. Um, so it was kind of like a Hannah Hart's take on different types of recipes that kind of correlate to her life. The Hartwich. And, and, and have a set, yeah. Oh, so it's like a story, you get some funny perspective. Yeah. And everything is personal. Everything is very personal. It's not like five measuring cups of water and yeah. make this great treat. It's no, 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 like, absolutely no. not. No, it's, it's okay. a big old, it's a big old mess of ingredients uh, that kind of, I could see to why it. it makes complete sense that this would be, yeah, it's a, it's a community driven yeah. thing because you, you, YouTube is, you have to watch every video to really know people's background and stories. You really do. Yeah. And you so really the book have itself to. is more of an archive that is Ex exactly. It was, it was an archive. It was, it was easy to read, so if you flip to a random page, you could read it and get a, a taste of what Hannah um, is about. And uh, and it was you know a beautiful a beautiful a beautiful book that we ended up being very happy with and spent six weeks on the New York Times bestseller oh, that's list. That's great. Yeah, and it was. What a, was that like um, when you saw it in writing that it was there and you know for me like your, my drunk kitchen is in the same category as like. Yeah. Malcolm Gladwell or some, you know, guy that spends his whole life writing I, a book. I have to say the first time I saw it in a Barnes and Noble, I, I mean, it was an awesome feeling. It was really cool. Um, you know, I think for me, um, having it be on the New York Times bestseller list for six weeks, I spent so much time talking about how it would be on the New York Times bestseller list because of the audience and because of the numbers and because we had all this data that for me it was kind of like well of course it is um was it valid was it I mean I imagine you felt proud but was it kind of like see I told you or yeah. like you doubted that this would not translate but. yeah you know I think I think again our our translate hashtag translate word because um, you're so authentic at disrupting yeah you know authentic disruption <laughs> scale of translation um, that sounds like a movie directed uh, by Sofia Coppola seriously about startups I gotta get on it actually I'm, I'm quoting that <laughs> I'm quoting that we'll put this in the comments um, uh, sorry what was I so we're talking about how you're like you're not, a, I told yourself person, but you're just validating no, that this oh. is a, because essentially you're building this model that hasn't previously existed. And there's not, yeah. you're saying it's the first YouTube person to get a book deal. So imagine this HarperCollins, big corporations, traditional, they imagine work with like the Oprah type, Rachel Ray hosts, mm -hmm. not a YouTube host that makes right. food drunk in the kitchen. Exactly. Yeah. I think uh, that's exactly correct. And I think for so long I spent, spent uh, most of my time trying to argue that she should be treated like the Oprah's and Rachel Ray's of the world because for getting books in stores and yeah yeah just I mean just have the respect that she deserves as a celebrity right but this celebrity word is hard for people to understand because they're youtubers who a lot of people most 
people our age haven't heard of. So how could they actually be a celebrity? But then when they move more units than a Rachel Ray cookbook, for example, I think people start to really, really start to understand. And for me, it's, it's validating. Sure. But I think at the end of the day, it's more like, I told you so. Yeah, Damn absolutely. <laughs> you silence the, the haters. Exactly. Silence the haters. Cause you're so. like, and, and, and actually what you should say is like do a dance. Yeah. And do like a little dance, but then say, this is the model moving forward. And you're going to be citing this and everyone that you're going to launch the next book for the next however many years will have a built-in audience online. Yep. And they're going to have a platform to sell that's not going to be from a big media company. So back to your book. Yeah. Now, two years later, 2015, because we did that deal with HarperCollins in 2013, book published last year in 2014. Now everyone wants to buy a digital anything. Yeah. Right? Because a couple of these creators now have come out with books you know, Hannah Hart paved the way and a lot of the other ones have come out with books and they've been successful. That's so great. Because they do have audience. It's all real. I'm I not, love it. You know, this is all very, very real. So this is the, I've just somehow the self, the, the book world has become like a big theme on the podcast. Oh, it has it. And so I had this guy near Ale was on the show. He wrote a book called Hooked and it's about building habit forming uh, products and technology. Hmm. So he studied Amazon, Facebook, Pinterest to find out what made them hooked like for their users and he had a blog he self-published a book and then the book deal came from all of that sure oh i'm not surprised by that and the publishers are dying for anything digital blog audience yeah. community i mean they're eating it up right now so right we gotta get this together ryan we're gonna get it together we're as sell. soon as freaking possible we gotta well, go take this out and sell it i do want to sell it i mean i have all the content already recorded i know and so for me the struggle is actually the actual structure because I just write a bunch of words yep. and then my editor says, oh, it's not actionable enough <laughs> because my book needs to be more of like a, a guidebook. So when, for the 41st chapter, you know, when yes. you're, when you're featured. Yes, we, exactly. We're, for the 41st. The Sarah Weichel chapter. We're going to actually feature the publishing platform that you and Hannah worked on. Perfect. That's 41. Love it. So what we're going to do is we need to make it in a sense actionable for people. So for these next questions, the actions will be, for YouTube creators, now that it's so noisy, and we talked about timing and luck and having the right look for so many of these people that are big now, how does someone even begin to break in? I have no idea, and good luck to you. I mean, really, God, <laughs> Godspeed. Um, yeah, I, truly. I mean, at, at this point in time, it is the market is saturated. There's no doubt. Uh, you know, I think. If you, I'm not a creator. I'm not out there creating YouTube content. I'm much more of like the business side of, of it. Uh, so I will help structure your book and I am great at bullet points. Whereas, you know, writing anything is a huge struggle for me. So what my creators would say to someone who's trying to start out as a YouTuber today is just be yourself. And that authenticity word is coming back again um, to bite us in the ass, Ryan. But uh, it will be the rest of our lives. Well, here's the, yeah, I do think it's that's not true. going away. And uh, well, I what I do think is we used, by the way, uh, this old startup I worked for, we used to make up words. Really? Like we had this word called vigibations for a video upload. <laughs> And we had clients then would quote it back. And Wait, where did that come from? It was like a French, some French word. and Vigibation. So, yeah, vigibation. So we would upload like a video on YouTube or a different, like Funny or Die and all yeah, these different yeah. websites. So we would track vigibations. And the clients would think, well, how many vigibations do you think we'll need for this video to get 50,000 views? So 
Amazing. So yeah, these were you can make up words and people will take it. Yeah. I know I do that with algorithm or not algorithms. Oh my god, my algorithms abbreviations all the time. Uh start some Asian will just start saying like D to C, D to C. And you'll be like, what the fuck? That sounds creepy. Yeah. It means from Jersey Jersey Soar. (laughs) You mean GTL? Yeah. GTL and D to C. DTF. Um exactly. Uh no, D to C is direct to consumer. Okay. Uh uh, what is another one? Well, ROI, but everyone knows ROI. What's another one that we use? SBOD is another one. Perfectly good example yeah, I used earlier. All these acronyms. All these acronyms we just use all the time, throw around. But um, Well, how do you think yeah. Hanno was so endearing to the community, even though it was a somewhat of an accident that that first video popped? Like, why is this, why years later, what did she do to actually build that community? Well, I think like all of... All I know of there's not like a, ma- I hate this... That same question is like, why is, she, why is it viral? But you know, there's the community aspect of it I think you can actually think about. Totally. No, no, no. I think like all my creators, they create content that they like and they attract a similar audience. So they'll create content that is authentic to them and what they would want to hear about or they would think is funny and make them laugh. And then they create a, an audience that also thinks that way. And then they protect their audience and they talk to their audience and they make it a two-way conversation. What do you mean by protection? That's interesting. Um, well, I think I've never heard that word used, but it makes sense. Well, I would say you um, fight for your audience in a way you got to take care of these people and deliver in everything. Right. So in a YouTube video, you're protecting them by making sure that their best interests are in mind. You don't say problematic things. You don't do things that are going to like, upset people you know you you speak to them and you speak for them same thing in like doing a book you know with hannah it's like i know that i'm going to be selling this i know exactly who i'm selling this to i'm selling this to my audience that i've built over the past handful of years and i have a really good relationship with i don't need somebody to tell me how to sell this thing necessarily because i already know who i'm selling to i'm very familiar with them yep. and this is what i think that they're going to respond to so i need to protect them you want to give them the book they want in doing this right um same with a movie called camp dakota which was another industry first actually i talked to michael Goldfine? Goldfine, yeah. Yeah, so another industry first was Camp Dakota. Michael Goldfine was the producer on the project. At the time, he was running a company called Rockstream Studios. Um, and it was my client, Hannah Hart, Grace Helbig, um, and Mamrie Hart, three best friends in real life. And, you know, Camp Dakota was a beautiful coming together of those three girls' brands to create something that would speak to their audi- their community. And... I don't know if Camp Dakota will be able to be replicated, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. It was it was the first of its kind. It was... And I actually had v, uh, Jamie Wilkinson, who's the VHX oh, TV. Oh, sure. The, he's the founder of, of that. VHX. Yeah, I actually didn't deal with VHX directly so much. That was more handled through their so agency. what would your but, role be? Uh, a producer. I mean, we were just like, we were just involved. And at the time, it was a very small team. It was Hannah, Grace, and Mamrie. Myself, Hannah's manager, Grayson Mamrie's managers who work at the same company are good friends. What's their management company? It's called Bleaker Entertainment. They actually don't come from the digital landscape at all. They come from um, underground comedy scene in, okay. in New York, which is where Grayson Mamrie came from. They they actually studied improv at a club called Second City. In, in New York City? Yep. Oh, and cool. they uh, ended up... I used to stamp comedy. Did you really? Yeah, I've dropped the mic. I've walked away. I've... Have you dropped the mic? This is years ago. Before but dropping the mic was cool. Before you even dropped the mic, right? I you retired it. Are 
an innovator? I am disruptor. I'm a disruptor. <laughs> disruptor. Um, but no, so I love comedy because I think now it's so cool with YouTube that you can sell your own tickets to your fans and not have to go on wacky morning DJ shows to promote it. I used to work at this DC improv club and I was on the East Coast and every morning you'd have to go on the DJ uh, Diamond in the Morning show and get, the guy would get, the comedian would get up at five, the guy or gal and go tell like wacky jokes in like six minute segments and then cut to commercial or cut to a song. And now Pat Oswalt or Louis C.K. and even more niche comedians can just sell their tickets directly and Absolutely, book their yeah. own shows. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, anything. Tickets, a piece of merchandise. Yeah. And so what do you think of that model? I know you're telling the Camp Dakota story, but I think this all... No, it actually it lends all really, itself... Like the whole the direct-to-consumer model is like, th- this is what you guys did with the book, and this is really where we are. Yeah, well... the. D- with the book, we did go through a more traditional route, which but was pairing up with a publisher. But you're at least you're selling a product to the people that already Always. are subscribed. That is the responsibility as a creator in this in this digital landscape. You're always selling to your audience, and you always have to protect them. Period. Whether you're partnering but with, I like how you use these words like responsibility, though. I feel like yeah. not everyone understands how much care goes into something like this. That's why it works. You know, that's why it works. It's not. I'll be interested to see what happens in the next couple of years and maybe we'll like, I'll email you in like a year from now. We'll have to re-listen to this, but... No, you'll come back on. Oh, perfect. Well, we see we see a lot of like traditional celebrities try to get in the digital game right now. You know, like build out their businesses. Did you businesses. see this channel? There's a... I saw this on Facebook last night that someone in LA has signed Howard Stern. Yeah, and Kim Kardashian. Yeah, it's a company called Whale Rock. Um, formerly Berman and Braun, which is a massive talent yeah. management company. And they are trying to build out these digital businesses for as an extension of these traditional celebrities' brands. And We've tried that for years. Right. How many times have we tried to build websites? Exactly. And now then it was apps. I'm not even that. Right? I mean, even... Building out YouTube channels for traditional yeah. celebrities. It's like just... Like Shaquille O'Neal's channel. Yeah. Really? I mean, who... Russell Madonna Simmons. had one. Yeah. Russell Simmons has a whole network. You yeah. Know, he has a whole um, MCN. Um, and, you know, there's one traditional celebrity that actually does it really well, and that's Russell Brand. I'm not sure if you've seen his YouTube channel. No. It's incredible. He is a vlogger. Like, yeah. I mean, he has adapted all of the characteristics that a vlogger would. I'm not sure who's responsible for his channel. I'm not sure if he's just studied it or if he yeah. has like, I'm sure he's got like a, a editor at least helping draft up thumbnails and stuff, but it's incredible. It's really well done. He's speaking direct to the camera. He's unapologetic as he always is. Yeah, he's brand. And he's just speaking his mind about... And he's so smart. And he's incredibly he could, educated. I think he's almost like John uh, John Stewart in a way where he's, he's hilarious and crazy, but his commentary on media and society is dead on. Oh, and honest yeah. I mean, incredibly honest yeah um D- dating Katy perry maybe helped him like be more clear well me perhaps you know because now he's in like he, he knows about the big machine of, right and of, he speaks a lot to um press and traditional celebrities and culture and how you know pop culture just trashes these poor people and like drags them through the mud and a lot of his youtube videos are deconstructing traditional media's that's right view like news, of celebrity newscasts and, it's incredible yeah. it's it's really well done anyway that was my big tangent yeah. on no, i love that on um traditional celebrities trying to build digital businesses yep. and i frankly don't think it's going to work i and, agree and here's why because traditional celebrities don't understand their audience. They've never had to. They've never had to build real relationships with them outside of doing like a meet and greet or like a, a press line, you know? And, and it's, it's a very different relationship 
um, than cultivating something from the ground up and just having a real responsibility to it. And I'll be interested to see what ends up happening. You know, it's not to say that some of these won't be successful. I'm sure that they, they will be, but it's definitely, I guarantee you, going to be a different relationship with, with the consumer. I 100% agree. I think they're going to have to reinvent themselves and start from the bottom, you know, which not everyone's going to want to do. Who did a good job of this. And, you know, there will probably be a handful of them that do is Taylor Swift. You know, everyone, the whole music industry was up in arms about Taylor Swift's innovative way of I love marketing how she her just, album. I love how she took her songs off Spotify and then the CEO, Daniel Elk, had yeah. to write a response yeah. to talk about, like he was on the defensive. Yeah. And you're like, that's amazing. It is amazing. Because she has that much control and, and influence that yeah, but, it matters. But it's Taylor Swift, right? So like, but I kind of feel like Taylor Swift can do anything. True. You know, like this is not like Taylor, I don't think but you're- But Spotify is so aggressive and they're so, their mentality is like, they're they're it really is. in the industry of music's like back pocket. Well, they're to pay the labels. Totally. And and here's what I will say. What I was trying to say about Taylor Swift is before I interjected with my own oh, no. agenda. It, it's fine <laughs> because it still speaks to this innovative marketing thing. Like how innovative the Taylor Swift took all of her music off of Spotify, right. and instead she's doing these, you know, sessions in her house, and she's doing these. Um, I don't know if you saw, but she did like Swiftmas where she ended up sending her fans like all of these random Christmas presents and she put it on her YouTube channel. Like that is exactly what being a YouTuber is all about. And by the way, that's not innovative. YouTubers have been doing that for f almost 10 years now. Since Set, setting started. up stuff. Not, I mean, any like, yeah, Taylor, Taylor Swift, your, your secret sessions at your house is a meetup. Right. Like YouTubers have been expected yeah. to have meetups Ever since you, day you, one. You, they're the lifeblood. Right. Meeting people offline in real life is like... Is, is exactly what this whole industry VidCon is about. VidCon is all about that. Right. Sending people sending people Christmas presents is, a, is an awesome idea. Recording it and uploading it to YouTube is just a daily vlog. Right. And everyone's up in arms at how interview Taylor's Oh, it was like groundbreaking. Marketing, Taylor's oh, marketing was that. for That's 1989. Funny. And it just... When you take a step back and you really look at it, it's like Taylor Swift is incredibly smart. She probably spends a lot of time on Tumblr and like researching yeah. YouTube and seeing how to connect and like acknowledging how to connect with fans. And that's why she's always going to be so powerful because she's adaptable. So these behaviors and habits are actually already like ingrained in the YouTube ecosystem it, and community. Because that's all they've ever had. And they don't have the luxury of a big marketing machine. Exactly. That is still today our number one disadvantage is that YouTubers don't have the advantage of any messaging outlets outside of their own. So all of their messaging, all of their promotion has to be done through their own socials and their own dot coms, their own podcasts, their own YouTube community. How would you describe the discovery process? Because Freddie Wong was saying that if you find music or you found music like 10 years ago, a million dollars went into you finding that song because mm -hmm. it was production values were high and you just get it in stores like Tower Records. Mm -hmm. But he's saying there's an approachability and, a, and accessibility of YouTubers that you just get found. Well, I think and they get like one viewer, one subscriber at a time. And there's a different psychological like fan attraction where they think that Freddie's fans are his friends and they see him and they're like, Hey man, Oh, they're not like, Oh my God. Like, you know, Angelina Jolie or Brad Pitt. It's like, Hey, how you doing? Can I get a picture? Yeah. See, you know, take it easy. Um, there's a respect. You know, I will credit YouTube on this one. YouTube has built, an incredible product and ecosystem for community. And it just lends itself really well to community. I can't think of another, 
really another ecosystem that is so about or industry that's so focused on community. And that's how the collaboration started, really. I mean, you know, Freddie, discoverability is all about collaborating with other people. That's the number one way to grow on YouTube. It's the number one way to be recognized. Everyone, everyone knows that if I, Hannah Hart, want to tap into Tyler Oakley's audience, I call him to see if he wants to do a video together, something that we can make jokes at or challenge each other or laugh about. And then that's how I. Tap and then he, into that he goes audience. on his channel and. Right. She goes on her channel. And- By the way, everyone needs to continue to create content. So collabs aren't uncommon because people are going to run out of video ideas. So you want to collab with me? Awesome. Um, and I, I can't really think of another industry that lends itself so well to that type of collaboration and discoverability, really. I mean, like for music, collaborations are probably the second closest thing, right? Like if you get a if you're on like someone's track, you're yeah. testing on someone's track. Right. That's that's the best way of being discovered, really. Like uh, there isn't like Dr. Dre with Eminem, exactly, and Dr. Dre with Fifty Cent. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, you know there isn't, but when you think about the music landscape, there isn't a platform that you go to to discover all music or like listen to all music. I guess Spotify is maybe trying to do that, yeah. and that's a good way to be discoverable. And podcasting. There's a there's a collaboration element, but it's different because I can get someone really big on my podcast, but they're not going to come on my like they're not going to invite me on my like it right. just doesn't make sense for them to have me on right. And but I you, think you, YouTubers, it's a different. It's it's, it's just, totally different because they just, control everything. Yeah, that's like I'm sure that's what radio was for music. You know, years ago was it's the number one platform that everyone subscribes. You know pardon the pun too. And so if we are able to get a guest track and we're able to get to radio, that's how we're going to be discovered. But now, but you don't have any access to radio. Like you don't have any control over radio. It's all behind, behind so these. What are some other, uh, besides books, what are some other awesome opportunities that you see for people or that you've worked with people on? Yeah. So Camp Dakota, direct to consumer um, feature, the first of its kind again, it was a long form piece of content for YouTubers. Um, Video Game High School, in fact, was probably one of the first. I think the chapter, the 41st chapter can be something about the heart witch. Yeah, for sure. Because I, I always want to create a new term for, I'm so dumb, but like, <laughs> I always think about how to brand elements of the book. So like, if you're at a cocktail party, I want you to be able to say this book is about X. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so I want to brand something about the direct to consumer model, which I haven't been able to, but I think the heart of the heart of sandwich mm-hmm. needs to be maybe in the title of the chapter. Sure. Because that's, that sums it up. Yeah. This, it's it's yeah. not the best recipe, but it's a true story of why this matters yep. because that's the person's con- audience that wants to buy the book because totally they, that's what they're looking for. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Again, going back to outside of just the book, you know, Camp Dakota and direct to consumer feature content, Video Game High School perhaps was probably the first of its kind. Um, However, it was in terms of it being a long form piece of content produced and directed by a YouTuber. Um, With Camp Dakota, however, with Video Game High School, it was available for free on on YouTube. Right. um, Episodically. With Camp Dakota, we knew we wanted to do something bigger. We wanted to do a longer form piece of content with these YouTubers who typically do five minute long pieces of content. And is this going to work out? There's real budget that has to go behind this. Who's going to finance something like this? Where's it going to live? The distribution options were minimal at that point. Um, there were really only two options and we ended up going with a company called chill.com, which 
ironically enough, folded yeah. during uh, our process. And, and we got to a point where we were just like, what are we gonna do? And out of necessity, we ended up having to put it on VHX.com and charge people for it, which the girls were so apprehensive about doing because YouTubers don't charge people for anything. Right. And when you have to charge some of your audience for something, it's really, you're like, it's nerve wracking. It's got to count. You never know. You, you got to make it count. You got to make it count. And so, um, so we ended up putting it on VHX.com and Camp Dakota was a phenomenal success. Yeah. We ended up making you know, back its money within 24 hours. And it was, it was incredibly successful. Um, and again, one of the, the first of its kind in the industry and, and uh, yet terrifying for me. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, all of these firsts are terrifying. What are some other me. firsts that you've, what are some other moments of terror? Uh, I wouldn't say terror, but I, I look at it say... in the sense of this is the model. It's, you're putting more yourself out there because you're one of the first people to do it. This is the the way of where it's going. I mean, the other... I mean, but also, I'm not writing everything on it. Like, right. you have all your bets on this. Oh, I have all of my bets on this. I have all 10% of my bets <laughs> Yeah. Um, on this and on my clients. And, uh, you know, I think... I think with the book, with Hannah Hart's book, it was... It was scary uh, because I had spent so much of my time convincing people it was going to work that if it didn't work, I would look really uninformed. Um, but at the very least, that was a protected asset. We had HarperCollins on board. Yeah. There was a publisher on board. Other people were investing into it. And, and it was just, it was meant to be a really exciting moment and a lifelong dream fulfillment for Hannah. Um, she always wanted to write a book? Yeah. She always wanted to be an author. Um, oh no way! Yeah, I yeah. Ironically enough, how the world works. Yeah, so so bizarre. Um, but then with Camp Dakota, that was that was a, a little scarier because we the, there were so many things that happened during the process of making this film that felt like maybe we we didn't actually know what we were doing. Um, we we didn't. I mean, to be honest, we had no idea. We started producing this thing without any idea where it was going to go, where it was going to live, and then when we thought we did it was quickly pulled out from under us and we had to find a new home for it. And all the while we're stringing along three girls communities, um, telling them to go sign up here and invest in this. Yeah. And, and it, you know, it could have been really bad for, for my talent. Um, and, uh, it, it wasn't, but I think perhaps blessedly it was, it turned out great. Um, but I think perhaps the scariest, <laughs> The scariest moment was when Hannah Hart did her uh, Indiegogo crowdfunding uh, campaign for Hello Harto. Um, and she asked for $60,000 and ended up hitting that goal within six hours. Um, As for her tour? It was for a it was for a scripted show she ended up putting on her channel two years ago called Hello Harto and it was her taking her show My Drunk Kitchen on the road okay, and right. she ended up doing My Drunk Kitchen with fans in their kitchens across the country. Oh really? Yep. Those were perks. Uh, no, that that was uh, that was just the show concept. Uh, the show concept was literally to take her show on the road and to go meet her audience uh, across the world and uh, go do my drunk kitchen with them in their homes. And this is the concept of the project. Yeah, this is the concept of the project. And so she needed some funding to like rent an RV and hire. Did you a go crew. with her? I did not. No, I I was not able to go with her, but I did go out a couple of times just to make sure she was safe. I mean, if you was think, she by herself? No, she was with a crew of four, of three other people. But I mean, you know, she's like this internet 
sensation yeah, who's going into fans homes with no security you know no 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 knowing what could happen or what is going to happen or how who these people are or who they say that they how are how do you and find these guests or she had a producer who spent hours i mean her producer was incredible um and she spent hours researching and emailing and coordinating and, and finding people and and enabling hannah to really go on the road and in addition to shooting these my drunk kitchens she saw it kind of like a a travel show where she went to different towns and she you know spent shot where she went and her time there and what she visited and did and saw and um it was a really great moment but between the security issues the huge risk of doing something like that and then perk fulfillment yeah, uh, and for anybody who is thinking about doing a crowdfunding campaign, make sure you hire a company who will fulfill your perks for you. Because yeah. we spent Hannah and I and a couple other people spent three days in a warehouse fulfilling perks and paper cuts and all, and just envelopes, thousands of envelopes. We ended up sending out, and uh, the perks ended up costing like ten grand even just to like send send out. Um, luckily, Hannah went way beyond her goal and ended up raising like a two hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Oh wow. Um, which was awesome, but uh, I remember watching the video. It was her and she's like had all this footage of with her fans, and it was like all it was very much like this is for the community. This is for people. Yeah, it really was, it was for the audience. It really was her attempt at meeting her audience around the world. And uh, you know, while she was there, she shot at my drunk kitchen with a fan, and then she held a meetup in every city um, at a local food bank. So the idea was for Hannah to be able to meet her fans and for them to do something good for the community while she was there. And then, you know, did pictures and autographs after that, and then off they went to the next town. And yeah, this is this is the best part of the interview. I didn't yeah. know the depth of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a uh, you know, it's a shame. I, I this just is so cool. I just had started working with Hannah at the time, and so we really didn't have. This is, a, this is another thing that our industry has grown so much and, and now there are teams that can put strategy behind things and there are other platforms that can help message for you. It's still not traditional right. media, but you know, there are, you know, like our industry blogs or like TubeFilter or like Variety, you know, other th other um, outlets that are that are paying more attention. And at the time, that was such a brilliant idea that Hannah had. Not only was I love it, it, not only was it just a, a good thing for her to do, but it was great for her, her community building. It was great for her engagement. It was great for, you know, for her to help develop what her brand meant to her. Cause at the time all she had was my drunk kitchen. And now yeah. we really need to start distinguishing what the difference is between Hannah's shows on YouTube and what Hannah's brand is as a company. What, what's Hannah Hart Inc's mission statement as a company. Um, which is another thing I'm, I'm doing with my talent this year. I think it's really important for people to understand that creators are not just content. They are going to build businesses, which we talked about earlier, but then what does that business stand for? What is the mission statement for that business? What is Superwoman Media Inc. going to mean or do for the world that's different? What is Harto Inc. going to do or stand for that's going to be different? Um, and what did those businesses look like? And that's really where I find myself kind of, kind of fitting into this whole mess, you know, is, is what's the talent trajectory? Yeah. How do we find support for that? And then how do we really deconstruct this business and, and find real purpose and meaning for that? And then what does it do? Does it live on a .com? Does it build out a, a blog? Does it build out a production arm? Does it, does it, what does it look like? You're definitely not a, a manager. 
<laughs> no, it's it's more like strategy. Yeah, and execution. Strategy and execution. I feel like anyone can get paid for strategy. Yeah. But executing and making it actually work is like yeah. where you make your your mark. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it takes a team. You know, I'm not I'm not by myself either. I'm looking to build out my business because I I need to. But I also encourage my my clients to build out their businesses. Like they need assistance. They need heads of development. They need producers, depending on what route they want to take. Um, they might need an internal graphic. So they're becoming designer. their own companies that are these media brands mm-hmm. that are extremely valuable, but almost hard to measure. Like, because if you go to Silicon Valley, people are like, oh, this company is raised a million dollars at a $10 million valuation, whatever. Mm-hmm. But with these creators, it's not like they're traditionally like raising money. Well, that's, that's where we're at today. I haven't quite cracked that one yet. I don't know what the MCNs are going to stand for or how they're going to support creators. But what my hope is, is that they start investing, really investing in their creators and putting together a, you know, we'll put together a real business proposal and, and trajectory for the talents business. And then we'll start raising capital against it. You think so? That's my hope. That's how I hope the MCNs. Is that because you wouldn't want people to put their own money in and lose it? Or you can, if you get more money, you can put more risk and take, um, I th- make bigger opportunities versus crowdfunding. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. I haven't quite cracked it yet and it will be different for every single piece of talent, but we can go with, we can continue to take Hannah Hart's business as an example and, and say, look, Hannah is incredibly charismatic. She's charming. She's a great host. She's funny. And she's LGBT. She speaks to a very certain audience on the internet that no one else speaks to. TV is not speaking it's to not LGBT. on TV. No, TV's not going to. So where's it going to live? It's going to live on the internet. Why don't we look at Harto Media Inc. as a production company that will speak to this, continue to speak to this audience, and who knows where it will be distributed. It might be distributed on her YouTube channel. It might be distributed on another one of the SVODs, Netflix, Hulu's of the world. It might be distributed on a new thing or platform or service that pops up because that seems to be like the new hot yeah. ticket today. Um, but really, the idea with, with Hannah's business would be to raise some capital so that we can invest back into her content. She gets to discover talent and then fund their projects. Yeah, exactly. So it would be discovering... Like, you know, Bill Simmons yeah. and Grantland. Yeah, Like, he's exactly. created this whole legacy. I love Grantland. Kurt, Chris Hardwick and Nerdist. Yeah, Chris Hardwick and Nerdist is really the model. Vlogbrothers are our other model. Like those, what I've noticed throughout the research of the book is that, I don't like this cliche, but the legacy versus currency mm-hmm. model I, I think there's value to that where like you want to be known for something versus making a lot of money and i think in this world that we're with creative people money is important you have to pay the bills and you want to save but in the end you want to leave a legacy and a mark and the reason yeah. you put the content on the web or a podcast is because you want people to hear it what i will listen s- to it the 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 common denominator with all of my talent as youtubers um is that they didn't do this for money yeah you know, they did this because they were going through something and they thought somebody else might benefit from hearing from it, or they accidentally uploaded something that an audience found them. But the last thing that they're doing it for is for money, um, or even recognition at the time, you know, some of the younger YouTubers today might be doing it for recognition, but at the time it really was to speak to an audience that wasn't being spoken for. And I think that is really powerful because now between the engagement and the relationship that they have with this community and having identified a white space in the marketplace so early on, that's 
going to mean something to someone. And we've, we've already seen it. You know, we've seen it with books and Camp Dakota and live touring. Um, you know, we've, we've seen the numbers come to life. And, and that's what I'm most excited about helping expand upon. And you mentioned, like, you didn't say this directly, but it's like underrepresented communities that aren't on TV. Mm-hmm. Like Hannah's audience, they can't find people like her out there. And, but on YouTube, you discover people like you. Right. There's a certain like, oh, I, that's my friend or that's me. Right. I can't find them anywhere else, but I know every week or every, twice a week, they'll be making content for me. Right. And it's, it's funny to me that TV still hasn't really picked up on it. Like, oh, that, there's an Asian show for the first time ever on network TV. Yeah. Like fresh off the boat. Yeah. With Eddie Wong, who's by the way, is a creator. Oh, he, he is? started on YouTube. Oh, that's funny. I didn't know that. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, that, that's actually Fox and there are a couple of, there are a couple of different networks that are starting to recognize it, but wouldn't it be something for network to really start to understand, give people TV shows and the, the ability to produce and create content on, on TV. I mean, I think that's really the win. Like those eyeballs, we, we have proof time and time again that the, that we can mobilize a community. Yeah. We can mobilize yeah. an audience. We can get them to transact. This is not new. Um, you know, and, and so I think that that might be next this year and it'll be really exciting. Grace Helbig actually is, um, she, one of the first creators to, she got a, she has a talk show now is on E, mm-hmm. the E network. It was yeah. picked up and, um, and that's going to be a really exciting moment because I think that between Grace's, you know, existing brand and her, uh, friends who she'll, I'm sure will have on the show, that might be a really great moment for you know, TV and digital to really merge and come together. So fingers crossed for that. That's yeah, no, it's so exciting. I, I was actually heard on the Today Show that was I referenced earlier when yeah. they were like, what's Grace, the viral moment? Grace is a very, uh, very dear friend of mine. And I remember her coming back from that interview and being like, it was different. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> and yeah, the patience that YouTubers have. I mean, that's the other thing I have to say is, the, the, the trickiest thing about my job and perhaps like one of the hardest parts of the last year is as a translator, you're often met with super condescending remarks that perhaps they don't mean to be condescending, but in the Hoda Cathy Lee example, when it's like, but like, tell me how much money do you really make? It's like, how, who, how much money do you make? Yeah. How condescending is that? You know? Like, and it, and it, I think it's after like looking at it, like it's a JV team. Yeah. Right? And I, it's like validate yourselves to yeah, us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and P and you know, we've been spending the last couple of years as a digital space trying to validate ourselves. And I think at a certain point you just say enough, you know, um, and, uh, and when you're often met with those condescending remarks, I think it really does start to wear on you. And especially being an island, which I am right now, I'm not with or have the support of a company or, or employees. It really does kind of, kind of take a toll. Um, just for the grind of that yeah. mentality, working against it. Yeah, just over the last year, you know, it's like I, I have 100% faith in my model and I have 100% faith in my relationship with my talent. Um, but the struggle really over the last year has been um, educating. Yeah. Educating and translating and just remembering to continue to believe and and in yourself because it is... It is hard, you know. Well, people are conditioned to think something. They don't even realize that they're trained to think this way. But until they see numbers or like a big case study, they're like risk adverse. Like any startup I've been a part of, I've had 
to like the first five slides are like educating people. Mm -hmm. This is where the market lives. This is what we've been doing. This is where we think the problem is. Absolutely. And you're doing it with people. So it's a little different because you don't have yeah. a product that you can say, hey, download this thing and tell me what you think. Can you use it for your life? You're and like, also when you're dealing with people, it's much more personal. Yeah. You know, like I'm not, I'm, I'm not at liberty to give you the return on your investment in, for in, investing in Hannah Hart as yeah. a person. You know, I, I think if you were to invest in a product, it might, you know, it's a it's little different. less personal. It's also, you're attached. You're just like right. putting resources towards it. Right. And hoping it, it succeeds, but it's your baby. So if it doesn't succeed, you're personally hurt. Well, and there's no, the, even though corporations now are people, according to the Supreme Court, sure. uh -huh. <laughs> but like products aren't people, but right. you're on the people side of this. Right. But these people that are being treated like product. Yeah. Because of all the numbers and analytics and data that we have against them. Um, and so I think the best thing about that, the silver lining in that is that. I'll fucking take it. I'll exploit this into yeah. a, into a massive product, into yeah. a massive brand. You know, we and we can because we do reach all of the things that you know the gatekeepers used to reach for talent before, which is audience distribution, messaging, and creation. And they do it all on their own, and it's it's really great to be a part of it and and to see how we're going to continue to build upon that in the next couple of years. And so now we'll we'll close this. This is a really good note to end on, but. Let's throw, throw out the crystal ball. Mm -hmm. You know, put on your like swami hat. You talked about maybe some creators raising capital to yeah. invest. Talk about maybe creating more of a model where hopefully a TV network would use someone on YouTube as a curator to find talent. What, what are some other things we see? Because I, I have a, I'll, th I'll throw out something. Um, I think podcasters could, will have managers and agents in the next few years. Sure, just not, like I'm not bloggers. saying like, I'm not saying I'm gonna be the guy in any way. Listen, Ryan, 10% or bust. Okay, deal, <laughs> 20%. Um, Go home, hey, uh, honey, I've got a manager, but I gave away 50% of everything. Um, I would never take 50% from you, but um, I do think that this is, I think this is an incredible time to be in the position that we're in. It's a great time. It's a great time where you got this whole digital landscape. And we're still so early, even though you think, I think all the time people are catching up and I get nervous and I'm like, no, actually no. just take a deep breath here. It's going to be fine because new products are being developed. New uh, skill sets are being developed. It's, it's a really interesting and fascinating time and there's a ton of opportunity and there's a lot of money. A lot of people are investing in this right now. So it's a good time to be a digital creator. I think everyone is going to continue to demand more and better from creators, everyone, be it YouTube or new SVODs that pop up that want to buy content or it's, whether it's their community that wants to see more of them more consistently and they just don't have the time. Um, and so that's going to be tricky. And so my hope for my creators is that they're able to staff up or license content that might not feature them so directly in front of the camera, but that they're a part of behind the camera that still speaks to their audience and they can just continue to build out their production companies. Um, because that's, again, that's what they're good at. They're good at content creation and they're good at speaking to community. And so as long as they can continue to do that at a larger scale, their businesses will grow at a larger scale. Mm -hmm. um, I also think it will be important for um, 
you know, to recognize the talent, the talent opportunities versus the business opportunities, which I've said before, but I really do think it is important. You know, it, it is all well and good to go do TV appearances or appear on a TV show or sell a book or do a movie or go on a tour or sell merchandise or whatever it is that you're going to do is talent. But to focus on the core of your business, which is going to, which is your community and always will be your community, um, has to be the first thing that a creator thinks about every day because without it and without those damn numbers we're not doing the million dollar george clooney deal so it's it's important to uh it's important to keep keep you know uh protect that asset we'll say i love it and so chapter 41 chapter 41 is already it's already done great i need to go finish i'm gonna go (laughs) do i well because my chapter outlines are essentially just they used to be paragraphs, but because I have so many chapters, they're just going to be one word now. Perfect. Or one, or one line. Yeah, it's going to be scale. Scale. Authenticity. Disruption. Disruption. And let's just call your whole book disruption. Done. Disrupted. Done. By you Ryan get fifty percent. Perfect. Yeah. That was the easiest deal. I've Come on, we got to work on your negotiating skills. Okay. Sixty okay. percent. <laughs> well, this is awesome. Thank you for uh, joining me today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Everyone subscribe to this podcast, right? Subscribe to the podcast. Leave a comment. Leave a That's comment. the thing in, in podcasting it. is you don't have a like. You have to like give five stars and mm-hmm. a comment. Mm-hmm. And Apple, the two, fe- the two uh, features of podcasts are your subscriber total. And it's not visible on iTunes. Mm. But it's for their rankings, they do top 300 lists in each category. Is how many times they ping your subscribers like in a week. So everyone, please subscribe. Please subscribe please and then subscribe leave a rating. And leave a rating, please. Yes. Ryan will be commenting. I'll be interacting <laughs> with everyone and buy my book. Amazing. Thank you. Oh.